0: Want to do real quick, just a the quick reminders for the big picture. Scholars tell us that the book of Daniel, although literarily wise, it's set in the 6th century B.C. All the evidence indicates it's written in the 2nd century B.C. as a part of a massive crisis. The purpose of the book of Daniel is to give hope to God's people at a time when they're being persecuted. And there's actually a systematic attempt to wipe out their faith. It's the first time in their history that they ever experienced that. It. it will not be the last, as you know, but it was the first time. So it gives birth to a new type of literature called apocalyptic, which uses imagery, which uses visions, which uses dreams to kind of reveal what it is that God has in store for God's people. The book falls into two parts. The first six chapters are really um, stories of heroes of faith as they struggle to be faithful to God in an environment, in a culture, in a society in which that's not very easy to do. And so they try to persevere in spite of people's attempts uh, to make them deny their faith. And so we get stories like the three youth in the fiery furnace or Daniel in the lion's den and stories like that. Coming to the second half, starting in chapter 7, there's a shift. All of a sudden, Daniel is not interpreting the visions and dreams of others, uh, the rulers, He's having his own visions and dreams, which have to be interpreted uh, by angelic beings. And here there's a real shift because no longer are we dealing just with living in a society where it's difficult, but we're living in a society where there is a systematic attempt to wipe you out. And all the evidence indicates that we have a very specific historical event, a very specific historical crisis that we're dealing with. We're in the second century, in the years 167 to 164, right in there. We're dealing with Antiochus Epiphanes, the Seleucid Greek Empire, in which for the first time in history, an actual attempt was made that we're just going to make the Jews kowtow. And the way we're going to do it is we'll make it impossible for them to have their faith. Every single part of their faith, we will attack. And that was done. we have multiple sources, the best of which it probably... Uh, the books of Maccabees, and the Jewish historian Josephus, which give us wonderful background material. Now, chapter 11, where we left off last week, we were told something. We were told in a sort of almost anticlimactic kind of way, it's really played down, that the time of suffering and the time of persecution will come to an end, and that the (laughs) one who persecutes us, not named, but very clear who we're talking about, Antiochus, will simply come to an end. No dramatic thing that God's going to do to him. Simply that will just, he's just like he just sort of fades off the scene. We're also told there that, the, that all of the people who suffered and died during this period for God, for their faith, um, that their deaths and their suffering has served a purpose. And this is the real issue the book now wants to turn to. And so in Daniel 11, uh, 35, we heard this. Some of the wise, and the wise, of course, in the book of Daniel are those who are faithful to God, who struggle to be faithful to God, who do everything the way that God wants it to be in spite of all the difficulties. Those are the wise, so that they may be refined, purified, and cleansed. English translation, purged. It will be a very, very difficult time. Many will die. Many will suffer. This is not a pleasant experience. But that leaves a profound question out there that, that this book wants to deal with. Uh, you know, the book of Job embraces one of the great issues. You know, why do the righteous suffer? You know, why, how does God allow that to happen? And, and the book of Daniel also wrestles with this at this point. What about those who've suffered and died for their faith? Were they just a cleansing for everybody else? Is that all we can say? You know, you served, a, you served the larger good, okay? Out of this horrendous, horrible experience, good things will come, and your suffering was just the price we had to pay. Well, I'll tell you that that answer is not sufficient for the book of Daniel. We want to take it beyond that. Now, what we're about to enter into is something that we've never seen in the Old Testament. We've never seen in the Bible anywhere. So to fully appreciate the radical nature of what uh, Daniel's about to do in this vision, we need to understand the faith of Israel as it existed before the 2nd century, b- you know, before the book of Daniel. What we're basically saying is, for a 1,000-plus years, this was the faith of Israel, what I want to show you. And this is the backdrop against which we need to hear Daniel 12. Life after death simply was not a part of, of the faith of Israel. And if you know Jews to this day, particularly in the reform movement, they will tell you, and the rabbis will tell you, that belief in life after death is not part of Judaism. It is not part of the Jewish faith. Now, do some Jews believe in life after death? Yes. But it's not a part of their faith. Their faith is utterly this world focused. It's how do we stay faithful to God? How do we live the righteous life? So prior to Daniel, with one little t- possible exception we'll talk about, you as you look through the, you know, the, the Torah and the prophets and the writings, what you find there is nothing about life after death. So let's just look a little bit at what this is. Israel's faith affirmed the finality of death very clearly. So in Genesis, remember the story? For you are dust, and dust you shall return. We use that in the funeral services. It is a reminder that we're not God. We are not creature. We are from the stuff of the earth and the stuff (laughs) of the earth that we shall return. Over in Job, which wrestles with suffering, we get this. A mortal, born of woman, that's most of us, few in days, (laughs) full of trouble, comes up like a flower and withers. And you get to a certain point in life, you realize that happens way too fast. (laughs) You know, Uh, flees like a shadow that does not last since their days are determined and you have appointed the bounds that they cannot pass. There's hope for a tree. I hate, I hate coming a second to a tree. There's hope for a tree if it's <laughs> cut down, it will sprout again and it shoots or its roots, you know, will not will not cease, but mortals die and are laid low. Humans expire. And where are they? Mortals lie down in the grave. They do not rise again. Now, when we hear Daniel, we'll have the opposite of this. But prior to Daniel, they do not rise again. Since the heavens are no more, they will not awake or be roused out of their sleep. Ecclesiastes, another wisdom book. Um, for the fate of humans and the fate of animals... Is the same. Now, if you believe that you go to heaven and your dogs and cats go with you, that's kind of good news. <laughs> One dies, and so the other. So the point here is exactly the opposite. They all have the same breath, and humans have no advantage over the animals. All is vanity and chasing of the wind. The closest the Old Testament comes to an actual belief in life after death, except in the da- Daniel 12 was a belief in something called Sheol. You ever heard that term? And it, it's, a, it's a very vague, shadowy kind of thing. We have a few references here. Psalm 49. Like sheep, they are all appointed for Sheol. And you can just translate death, okay? Straight to the grave, they descend, and their form shall waste away. The imagery is your body decays, and that's it. Psalm 65: For in death... There's no remembrance of you. When we die, we can't even remember God. That's interesting. In Sheol, who can praise you? If we can't remember God, could we praise God? That we can't remember? Of course not. Psalm 88. For my soul is full of troubles, and my life draws near to Sheol. This is more metaphor, but he's using the imagery of death to talk about the suffering he's going through. I am like those who have no help, Those who die have no help like those forsaken among the dead. If you're dead, you've just been forsaken like the slain that lie in the grave, like those whom you remember no more. Not only can we not remember God. God does not remember us in Sheol for they are cut off from your hand. Do you work wonders for the dead? This is a rhetorical question. The answer would be no. Do the shades, the shadowy figures that after your death rise up to praise you? No. Now, what's significant is that is the faith of the nation of Israel in which the book of Daniel's message now comes with a profoundly different and new kind of message. It is new, it is unprecedented, and it's unexpected. For the first time in the Old Testament, the New Testament is an entirely different, different reality. But in the Old Testament, for the first time, we get a clear affirmation. Life does not end with death and that there is, in fact, more. So Daniel 12, one through three. At that time, Michael, remember who Michael was? We have Michael, who is the two angels that are sort of the protectors, guardians of Israel. Michael and Gabriel. Uh, by the way, those appear in the New Testament. In the story of Mary and Revelation, other places. Uh, the great prince. Uh, prince here, not meaning an earthly prince, but sort of an uh, angelic being. The protector of your people shall come. There shall be a time of anguish. Anybody reading this book in the second century knows that's now. That's where we're living. Such as never occurred since nations first came into existence. And from this perspective of the Jewish people facing the, uh, the oppression of Antiochus, it was unprecedented. First time it's ever happened. But at that time, At the precise moment that we're being persecuted in the darkest hour, remember England during World War II, Churchill's book, in the darkest hour was, in fact, our finest hour. It's that kind of thinking. But at that time, your people shall be delivered, everyone who is found written in the book. Now, we'll talk about this in a second, but Daniel several times refers to books. Actually, he's going to refer to three different ones. Many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth, that would be those who died, shall awake. Some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. And that's a belief we're all very familiar with. Okay? This is the first time this belief has ever been articulated. Those who are wise, the faithful, the people who struggle to be obedient to God, shall shine like the brightness of in the sky, and those are called stars. You shall become a star. I guess that's the way, only way some of us are going to become stars, but it's <laughs> all right. <laughs> those who lead many to righteousness, if, if by your witness, by your faith, by your example, you help other people to stay faithful to God, shall be like the stars forever and ever. Now, Well, the first thing that's interesting in this passage is at the time of anguish, at the exact moment when things are darkest, the crisis, the suffering that you're going through, people dying, that is itself the sign that the end is coming. Remember the New Testament? There should be wars and rumors of wars and you have all that imagery. The same thinking here in the darkest hour is just before the dawn. So if you're walking through the darkest hour, if you're walking through this horrendous moment of oppression, that is a sign to you that the time that God will intervene and will act is just around the corner. It's just about it. So in a sense, your darkest hour is your moment of hope because it's that close. Written in a book, uh, in the course of Daniel, he mentions three books. Each contains information. Uh, this is the same thing in the book of Revelation and other writings. The idea: If the book is in heaven, it's information that God has access to, that God knows, and therefore it can be revealed to us. So, in chapter seven, remember there was a book of judgment; the destruction of the beasts and the empires was all written down. We know it's going to happen. Chapter eleven, we had the book of truth; it contained the future, what will happen. Here in chapter twelve, we have the book of life; contains the names of the righteous. Want to be raised? I don't know about you, but the Baptist church I was raised in, we were raised that thinking that. Names are written in a book. Do you remember that? Yeah? Kind of like Santa Claus. You want to be in the book. Okay. <laughs> My mama said it's not good if you're not. Uh, deliverance will come, both for those who've been suffering and, crucially for the book of Daniel, for those who've given their life. Because there's two kinds of hope. One hope is if you're suffering and the s- persecution comes to an end and you get relief, that's one answer. But what about those who've already paid the price? Is it going to do them any good? And for that, Daniel has a second answer. Um, What follows is the first clear reference, and some would say the only, but there's actually two. Those who sleep in the dust shall awake for everlasting life. We have the first reference to something that is now in the Apostles' Creed, the resurrection of the dead. Uh, we have this statement: "You shall rise for your reward at the end of days." This is the first time this ever appears. Uh, and again, why do we have this belief? Well, it's not based on anything we have. It is not based on anything we possess. Now, in modern society, some people might say, "Well, we have an immortal soul. That's how we can survive." That that belief is not in here at all. We don't have anything. Okay? There's nothing that I have. There's nothing that I possess. That guarantees I have a future. Where would my future be? My future would be with God. It's grounded in the God who loves us. It's grounded in what God will do for us. Uh, It's based on God's justice. We do not live and die in vain. That God will make that right. There's a profound justice, sense of injustice, if a person dies for God, and that's it. And so the book here is struggling with that. The God who gave us life has the power to give us life again. That is the the, the belief behind this. Now, Daniel affirms the resurrection. He does not give us a lot of details. We get two. it's universal. Everybody. uh, At least among God's people. And there's two different fates. There's reward and punishment. Depending on whether or not you've been faithful. And within the book of Daniel, it's probably depending on whether or not you've been faithful to God through persecution. That's the really the issue that's there. Now there's some other examples found in some other writings of the period. Uh, There's one other verse in the Bible, uh, the Old Testament, that that affirms, uh, seems to affirm life after death. What's interesting about this is uh, this message is totally consistent with the entire book of Daniel, but it's not with the book of Isaiah. We just have this verse. And so the question is which came first, Daniel or Isaiah? And I think the consensus is that probably the Isaiah passage may in fact be based on the Daniel passage. But they're they're very very copacetic. They're very very similar. Your dead shall rise. Their corpses your dead shall live their corpses shall rise. O dwellers in the dust awake and sing for joy. And then from that the book moves out. The most developed one is actually remember the book of Enoch. First Enoch parts of which are written about the s- same time as Daniel within probably a year or two. Enoch fifty one. In those days, Sheol, remember Sheol? What will happen? Sheol will return all the deposits which she has received. What would those be? Us. Anyone who's died. Hell, and probably don't mean here twentieth century or medieval hell, fire and brimstone and stuff. Anybody remember in Greek, uh, in Greek thought what the word was for hell that, that we translated hell? Well, Gehenna is the is the Hebrew word. In uh, Hades. Hades. And in Greek thought, Hades is the abode of the dead. So Hades or hell is from Greek society exactly what Sheol is for Hebrew society. Just two ways of saying the same thing. Sheol will give back. Hades will give back that which she owes. And he shall choose, he being God, he shall ch- uh, ch- uh, choose the righteous and the holy ones from among the risen dead so all rise but then God chooses or selects the righteous and the holy for the day when they shall be selected and saved has arrived and the earth shall rejoice and the righteous ones should dwell upon her and the elect one shall walk upon her what's interesting about this is when you're resurrected where do you go according to this here Not heaven, which is exactly the message in the book of Revelation. I saw a new heaven and a new earth and new Jerusalem descending. And so everything is right here, right now. Some of us like that idea. Some of us don't. Uh, (laughs) But that's the imagery. Righteous one shall dwell upon the earth. The elect one shall walk upon her. Now, Daniel's not finished, so there's something else there. One more surprise about the ultimate fate. You don't just rise. And then get to live upon the earth and walk around. There's something more. Um, you become like stars. Celestial being. Now in the ancient world, the belief was when you looked up at the sky and th- there was a the little twinkly lights, they didn't know about hydrogen being burned and making helium and there being stars. What did they think they were? They were beings. They were angelic beings. And they, they kind of winked in and out. And some of them moved across the heaven and stuff. So the imagery is we shall be eventually with God in the celestial heavens. Uh, this is the earliest reference to this in the Bible. Would you be surprised if First Enoch also has the same thing? Uh, one, uh, 104. You shall si- shine like the lights of heaven. You shall be seen and the windows of heaven. Uh, remember in Revelation, a door to heaven opens? Here it's the windows of heaven. Maybe you can't travel, but you can see, be open to you. Um, By the way, do you know this is in the New Testament? It's in the writings of Paul, Philippians 2. Do all things without murmuring and arguing, so that you may be blameless and innocent. This gets quoted quoted a lot. Children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. So again, it's a it's a suffering kind of uh, deal. In which you shine. Like stars and the world. Most scholars say this is probably that same belief. The angel now gives a little piece of instruction to Daniel in verse 4. But you, Daniel, zip it. What I've just given you, zip it. Do not tell anyone. And keep the book sealed until the end of the time. Now, according to the book of Daniel, when is Daniel living? 6th century. When is the message for? Second century, zip it for 400 years. It's not relevant. This is not relevant for Daniel's generation. It's not relevant for the generations after, except in the parts that talk about how history comes. Many shall come running back and forth, kind of like Chicken Little, just running around, you know. Evil shall increase. Things will get between Daniel and the second century. Things will not get better. They will get worse. What has there been, Daniel? secret knowledge? It is not for everyone. Uh, the words are secret. the book is sealed. And what you get in Daniel and this becomes true of all apocalyptic books this just happened to be the first one Daniel becomes a repository of secret <coughs> knowledge. And if you've got secret knowledge, what do you need? The key? To unlock it and understand it. And if you unlock it, understand it, you've got power. To understand what is to be. So the people who understand it, the wise, will read it, they'll be able to understand what has come. And so the book of Daniel and the final vision then ends all of a sudden with two more angels appearing. Now we've got three. It's a party. Okay? I mean, it's we've always had one angel. Now we have three. Would that be an indication that maybe something important is about to go down? Okay? And there's going to be a very interesting conversation. <laughs> we have one angel. Final message, verses 5 through 13. Then I, Daniel, looked, and two others, angelic beings, appeared, one standing on this bank of the stream, one standing on the other. One of them said to the man clothed in linen. Remember that imagery? That's an angelic being. Uh, Linen is what the the priests wear when they serve God in the temple. Uh, Book of Revelation, they're always wearing the white linen. Who was upstream and then the angel asked a question. Let's give the angel benefit of the doubt. Assume the question is a real question. How long shall it be. Until the end of these wonders. Which tells you what about the angel. He doesn't know. An angel does not know. That's interesting. When this things will happen. So if an angel doesn't know who knows. God's the only one Who knows. The man clothed in linen who was up street raised his right hand, his left hand said. <laughs> who knows? God knows. And I heard him swear by the one who lives forever. It would be a little drum roll here because this this imagery now winds up in the book of Revelation and many other books. A time. Two times. And a half time. And you'll see that that repetition through many, many. Rides. How long is the time? A year. We've had this already in the book of Daniel. We've had it back in chapter 8. And that when the shattering of the power of the people, of the holy people, comes to an end, when the persecution ends, when Antiochus Epiphanes ends, when all this horrendous stuff that you're going through comes to an end, all these things would be accomplished. This is what we just heard just a couple of verses back. The darkest hour is the hour just before the dawn. So that when all these horrible, horrendous things happen, no, it's about to be accomplished. I heard, but did not understand totally. I'm totally with Daniel on this. So I said, my Lord, what about what shall be the outcome of these things? You're a little cryptic for me. You lay it out for me. He said. Scat. It's original Hebrew scat, you know, go your way, Daniel. For the words are to remain secret and revealed. Daniel is a figure of what century, according to the book? Sixth century. The message of the book is for the sexen- second century. Daniel says, I want to know, I want to know, I want to know. And the angel says, you don't need to know. You're in the wrong century. This is not for you. So go your way. Until the end of the time. Many shall be purified, cleansed, and refined. We've had the Second time we've had that imagery. But the wicked shall continue to act wickedly. I hate that. <laughs> I just hate that. You know, I want the wicked to get what comes to them. But the wicked shall continue. By the way, that's the world we're still living in. None of the wicked shall understand. What's in the book of Daniel and what's going to be happening with all this vision imagery about. They won't understand. But those who are wise. Shall understand. Why will they understand? Final exam. Book of Daniel. Daniel. Why will they understand how will they know. They got the book of Daniel. They've got the script. They've got the answer which is what the book of Daniel is. From the time that the uh, regular burnt offering is taken away. And by the way that happened several times. That's not that explicit Babylonians took it away. uh, Antiochus took it away. And the abomination that desolates is set up. Do you remember from the book of Maccabees? The year is 167 B.C. And Antiochus, the Greek, puts on top the altar of the temple in Jerusalem, an an altar to the pagan god Zeus. And demands that all the Jews worship the pagan god Zeus or sacrifice their lives. That's the abomination that desolates. There shall be 1,290 <coughs> days. Get your calculators out. How long is that? Three and a half years and just a little change. Okay, So it's the same message before. Happy are those who persevere. This is a beatitude. Happy are those who persevere and attain. Now, if you're following real closely, this is going to bother you. 1,335. Is that the same number we just heard? Flag that. But you? Scat. Go your way. Rest. Euphemism. Die. Go your way. Live your life. (coughs) Die. You shall rise for your reward at the end of the days. You will live your life You will die, but at the end of time, the end of days, God will raise you up as God raises the others. So with God's promise of deliverance from oppression and the promise of life after death, we get an angel that asks the key question, how long? Because only God knows, nobody else does. How long will the persecution go on? How long before God acts? Even angels have to ask that. Uh, You're not going to get that from anybody but God. Very similar to some teachings of uh, of Jesus, in the New Testament. We don't know these things. Uh, the time of trial will end not at the in the sixth century, but 400 years later. It will end in the second century. Very specific time, very specific events. I mean, you you cannot miss what's being said here. Uh, from 167 BC, three and a half years later, and that puts us roughly at 164 BC, depending on the month that you're in in each one. Um, This is exactly the same answer we got in chapter 8. It's just been reinforced. So we go and the book of of Maccabees tells us this. uh, This real quickly. If you look at Maccabees chapter 1, verses 45, 54. Antiochus forbid burnt offerings, sacrifices, drink offerings in the sanctuary. Now on the 15th day of Chislev and the year 145th year, they erected this sacrilege. And then chapter 4 says they rebuilt. This is after Judas Maccabeus. Defeats Antiochus forces rededicates the temple and then this the is called what. Hanukkah. This is the origin of Hanukkah. They rebuild the sanctuary the, the tradition is they had enough oil for one day and the candle lasted How many. Eight. So we have the eight branch candelabra stick. They rebuilt the sanctuary in the interior of the temple. They consecrated the course early in the morning the 25th day the ninth month. The month is Chislev the year 148. It just happens to be 3.5 years, which is what Daniel's been saying. So when the Maccabees win and the Maccabees rededicate the temple, everything will happen. Problem. Did it happen? No, not, not in the sense of the full vision. This is the anomaly of numbers. You've got one that says 1,290. That's consistent with six times in the book of Daniel this you know, time Two times and a half time, all this, and you've got that one d- one place where the number gets a little bit longer. What do you think might be going on there? Any ideas? Scholars think that, the, but this that second number doesn't fit anything else in the book, so it's possible that it's a later editor trying to extend the time frame. You know, uh, the same way we do today with the Book of Daniel, the Book of Revelation. People are always reinterpreting. You know, is it, is it Russia and Red China? Is it North Korea and South Korea? Is it North Vietnam and South Vietnam? And just trying to apply that unknown. We have probably an early example there. Probably in a later ed- editor. Um, in the meanwhile, stuff does not go away. You just have to live with it. You have to deal with it. We will continue to suffer the message for Daniel's readers. And by the way, one of the way you read, you read Daniel is, we're Daniel. If you're living anywhere in that 400-year spectrum, and you're reading this book, you're Daniel. So what's the message to you? Scat. Go your way. Live your life. Um, the future's in God's hands. Trust that. God will deliver, but God will do it in God's time, not your time. Uh, none of the wicked will understand this, but the wise will understand it, because we, they've got something the wicked do not have. They've got the book of Daniel. And the book of Daniel basically comes up with this message. Trust God that in God's time, God will take care of it. There is a future both for those who suffer. And there's a future for those who paid the ultimate price. And with that, the book of Daniel comes to an end. And several centuries later, as the New Testament opens up, we see many of these ideas developed immensely